0: The Lord be with you. The 5 a.m. service was amazing. I just want you to know that was tremendous. And I uh, invite you back for that next week if this wasn't quite early enough. Hey, you know, it's just a joy to open up God's Word with you this morning. If you're new with us today, we're, uh, we've just started, just this last Sunday, a new series on the person, the presence, the power of the Holy Spirit. When I was growing up, I, I didn't hear a whole lot about the Holy Spirit, but I do have one particular recollection, uh, and that was a confirmation service. Uh, I, I grew up in uh, the Lutheran church, and so you went through a course called catechism. At the end of which you receive your first communion, and you were confirmed. And the bishop would arrive and lay his hands on your head and say, "Receive the Holy Spirit." And I. I didn't know what to expect on that. I, I didn't really feel anything. I wasn't. Uh, I didn't, you know, fall over, or anything like that. I didn't have some great experience. Um, and cynically, I heard people say, "Empty hands on empty heads." Well, it need not be so. Of course, it is actually the promise of Scripture that the presence of the Holy Spirit is the amazing fullness of God's presence flowing into our thirsty souls and quenching that thirst with his presence. And I want to pick up on that idea of God's spirit flowing towards us this morning as we think about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I want to draw your attention, first of all, to the gospel passage in John chapter 7. There it says... On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus came there in the temple, this is in Jerusalem, and he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this, there's an editorial comment then from the Gospel writer, but this, he was talking about the Spirit curious statement then, who is not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so there's a past and a present and a future work of the Spirit which is held before us there in that passage in John's gospel. And Jesus, on this occasion, tells them that he is going to give them this river of the Holy Spirit. What did he mean by that? Well, this feast, this festival that they were celebrating together in Jerusalem that day in the temple was called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was one of Israel's great three feasts, Passover and Pentecost and Tabernacles. And on Tabernacles, they, and it's still celebrated to this day, by the way. Tabernacles is still celebrated today by our, our Jewish friends across the world where they, they build a little a little hut, a little place to stay. You can even, if you go to Brooklyn, I've been in Brooklyn when they had little places sort of model little places, even out on balconies. And could we just make a point here right at the outset that anti-Semitism is not consistent with Christianity at all. People marching with KKK stuff and claiming that that represents the gospel of Jesus are pro- an absurdity and a heinous lie. Let's get that straight. So we need to be really clear about that. And so this Feast of Tabernacles is going on. And what they were celebrating was that God was with his people in the wilderness. That God provided while they were journeying between Egypt and the Promised Land in that wilderness, those 40 years, he gave them water. And you'll remember how this went. Uh, Moses took his staff and he struck a rock and water flowed from the rock. And so they were celebrating that God had given them everything they needed, even in wilderness situations. He'd given them manna from heaven. He'd given them water from the rock. And the priest in the Feast of Tabernacles would go to the Pool of Siloam in Jerusalem... And he would take a pitcher of water and he would dip into it. And he would carry it ceremonially through the streets of Jerusalem, over to the temple. And then he would come to the great altar and he would pour the water out. And he did that every day for six days until the seventh day, which is what's in the text. The great day of the feast. And on the great day of the feast, they got seven pitchers of water. Seven pitchers of water. And the priests would come and they would walk around the altar seven times. And then on the seventh time around the altar, they would all take their their pitchers and pour the water out, saying, see, when we were thirsty, God gave us water. And the people would shout from Psalm 118, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. And then there would be a moment of silence. And in that moment of silence is when Jesus said, If anybody's thirsty... Let him come to me. Do you know that Jesus will mess with your life? He will disturb you. He disturbed that moment. Because what he said to them was this. I'm the rock from which the water flowed. And the real water you need is the Holy Spirit. That's what you need. For the wilderness you and I live in, as we're moving between the moment we receive Christ and the moment we get to our promised land, do you know what we need? We need the rivers of the Holy Spirit. Very interestingly, at the Feast of Tabernacles, an Old Testament passage was read every year. It was Ezekiel 47. I told you about Ezekiel last week and his vision of dry bones. Well, there was another Ezekiel vision. It was read at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the vision of a river. It was a river that flowed from the temple, and it was very small, a little trickle flowing from under the threshold of the temple. Ezekiel said it was just a little trickle that was flowing out, but then this little trickle kept growing and growing, and it became a great river, and it was very shallow at at, at first, and he went out into it. It was only ankle deep, and then it was knee deep, and then it was, King James says, up to my loins. And then it was chest deep. And then he couldn't reach the bottom with his feet. So the prophets caught in the current of the purpose of God. And it says that everywhere that river went, things came alive. The people of Israel were longing for a day when the Spirit would come without measure. When the Spirit would be what quenched their real thirst. So, what you find in the scriptures here in John 7 is that there's an era of anticipation, an era of achievement, and then an era of amplification. The era of anticipation was all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament. And during that period, the prophets spoke about that river that would come, that river that would flow. It's there in Joel chapter 2. You heard it read for you this morning. Joel chapter two twenty eight. It shall come to pass after these things, says the Lord, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. And even upon your servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and, and they will prophesy. So as great as the work of the Spirit was in the Old Testament, there was something greater coming still. The Spirit was hovering over the chaos of creation, and by the Spirit, chaos became cosmos. It became ordered. The Spirit came upon Moses, and signs and wonders were done in Egypt. The Spirit came on Saul and turned him into another man. King David served in the power of the Spirit. Peter says that the Old Testament prophets prophesied by the the Spirit working within them. So you think about all that. Kings and prophets and deliverers and judges ministering in the power of the Spirit. And as great as all that was, the prophet said, "As great as all that is, there is something greater coming still. Greater than the spirit of creation. greater than the spirit on well, greater than the spirit on Moses, greater than the spirit on Elijah, Something greater. Because when you read the Old Testament, you find the spirit, while present is there in a somewhat limited capacity. An isolated individual here or there. And it's very temporary. Come to me. Come to me if you're thirsty. And out of you will flow rivers. Oh, there. There's the promise again. The Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So here's Jesus standing in the middle of those eras, the era of anticipation, the the promise, and then the era of amplification. I'll get to that in just a second. And Jesus stands right here in the middle of it because here's, here's what happened. The prophets talked about this Spirit coming, and the word they used was anointed, anointed. Now, The Hebrew word for anointed, Messiah. The Greek form of that, Christ. A lot of people think Christ is Jesus' last name. Like if he had a mailbox, it would say Jesus Christ. Post office box. It's not. It's his title. It's his kingly title. He's the anointed one. He's the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah, the anointed one. Isaiah said... The day is coming when God will do this. He will raise up the seed of Jesse, my servant, and I will put my spirit on him. Everything about Jesus took all of that Old Testament anticipation and brought it into himself. He was, as we'll say in the creed, conceived by the Holy Spirit. When he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist... The Holy Spirit came upon him. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. He came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He walked into the synagogue and he began to preach, saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel. He was the person who did his teaching and ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit. And then, according to Peter, he in the writer of Hebrews, he offered himself up to God as a sacrifice on the cross through the Spirit, Paul says in Romans 1, he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, as we read this morning, having been seated at the right hand of the Father, he poured out the Holy Spirit. So everything about Jesus' pilgrimage with us, from his conception in the womb of Mary to his ascension at the Father's right hand, is characterized by that fullness of the Holy Spirit. And this is what's fascinating. Jesus turns to us and he says, I'm going to give you my spirit. And that comes to this era of amplification because he says the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet what? Glorified. But at the ascension, Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father. And Peter, he's talking about Pentecost. He's talking about the effusion of the Spirit that took place on the day of Pentecost. It says they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came a a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What what happened when the Spirit came? There was a, a sound. That's why I've chosen the word amplification. Because remember Jesus' words that we looked at last week. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away because when I go away, I will send the Spirit to you. And so the Spirit comes to us. God pours out his Holy Spirit upon us. And those people that were gathered there on the day of Pentecost received the effusion of the Spirit. And it's not an isolated person here or a person over there. Every single last one of them have a tongue of fire on their heads. Every single one of them are speaking the word of God with boldness. Every single one of them are bearing witness. And the river starts with with Jesus On the cross, in Ezekiel's vision, it's a very small body of water to begin with. And as he hung there on the cross between heaven and earth, having paid the price with his blood for our sins, having breathed his last, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit, a Roman soldier came and pierced his side, and flowing from his side came blood and water. And just like in John 20 that we looked at last week when he breathed on them and that breath became a mighty wind, here in John 19 that little trickle from his side by Acts chapter 2 begins to be a mighty river that's flowing. That's flowing into God's people and then from God's people so that they become those who are proclaiming the gospel. They fill jerusalem with the teaching about jesus thousands of people come to faith in jesus and the word of god begins to spread across the ancient mediterranean world filling north africa filling the middle east spreading into europe taking over the world why because the river of the lord is flowing come to me if you're thirsty I just gave you the whole history of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you a question this morning? Here's the question. Are we in the river? Are we thirsty? Are we in the flow of what God's doing? What would that look like? What would it look like for a church to begin to move into the amplification of what Jesus accomplished in his ministry when he preached in the power of the Spirit, when he served in the power of the Spirit? What would it look like for that ministry to begin to expand out through us, to live in the good of the inheritance of Pentecost? Well, you'd see a church that was passionately devoted to Jesus because the Spirit always points us to Him. The Spirit unites us to Christ. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. The Spirit leads us towards Him. The Spirit of God is how we have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, when the Spirit comes, creates in people deep, passionate, zealous love for Jesus. Jesus becomes larger in our lives than ever before. I was listening to a friend this week talk about their own conversion. Well, they'd been in church, they'd heard good preaching, and she said, it was a wonderful moment, she said, I know what it's like to sit there in church and listen to really biblical, sound, evangelical preaching, and it just not make any sense at all. To be completely blind to it. To look at the Bible, and it's like, somebody else's mail." But then a moment came when the Spirit made her heart alive. And she said in that moment, it was like the scales fell off. And suddenly the Scriptures were alive and the preaching began to come together in her heart. What had happened? The Spirit made Jesus real to her. The Spirit took Jesus out of a place in history and made a place for him in her soul. Can I ask you a question? Has Jesus done that for you? Has the Spirit come and made Jesus real to you? Well, here's the second thing, of course. If a church is in the flow of that, we would be connected to Jesus' mission. We would be deeply concerned about the word of Jesus getting out into all the world. That would be a chief concern of ours. Because the Spirit comes not only to make Jesus passionately real in our lives, the Spirit comes to connect us and empower us for the mission of Jesus. So taking the words of Jesus and the presence of Jesus and the deeds of Jesus into our broken world, into our schools, into our offices, into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, everything about that would become our top priority. When we talk about being a missional people, we wouldn't, again, think of missions as a department in the church. We would think of it as the raison d'etre of the entire community. This is why we're here. This is why we have life and breath. It's why we're still here. If our mission is over, we should just go on home to heaven. But you're here. God has left you here, but he has not left you without the Spirit. And the Spirit is upon you, Jesus said, to be his witnesses. And so we're connected to the mission of Jesus. And that leads to the third thing that would be really true. We would see people converted. We would see people converted to Jesus all the time. Now, now, some of you are going, y- y- Pastor, that's the job of Baptists. We're Presbyterians. We take people who the Baptists win and we turn them into cerebral, thoughtful theologians. Well, that's rubbish and nonsense because it is the task of every believer to not share his or her faith in love with our neighbor's. Let me put it to you this way, just to bring it home. If you go, you go through a whole year, and you don't. A church doesn't see anybody converted. Then what are you doing? What are we doing? If we don't ever see people come to Christ, what are we doing? The presence of the Spirit would turn us into an international combine harvester of the kingdom. It would turn us into people who are deeply devoted to the mission of Jesus. It would turn us into people who are so in love with Jesus, so intrigued, so enraptured with his beauty, we couldn't help but share him with other people. So again, I ask you this morning, are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? Because here's one of our greatest problems. We slake our thirst in Williamson County, the eighth wealthiest county in America. We slake our thirst with so much affluence. Our souls are so satisfied with every single luxury that money can buy. That we are in danger of turning Jesus into some little dashboard deity that we hope protects us while we're driving on I-65, and that's it. We think that everything else will satisfy us. But the truth is, Jesus said, if you're thirsty, do what? Come to me. And I believe, as a church... We need to come to him. And we need to come thirsty. Jesus said to a woman at the well, I'm going to give you a drink. When I give you this drink, you'll never be thirsty again. All the things the world has to offer you, all the fame, all the affluence, all the symbols of power, none of those things will mean the same to you anymore. Because I have taken hold of you. You say, that's for me? Yes. Listen to Peter's words on Pentecost. Having been seated at the right hand of the Father, he has poured out this which you both see and hear. The signs, the wonders, the wind, everything that's all about Jesus to draw people's attention to him. And then Peter said, when they asked him, what do we do? Peter said, repent. Get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you... Every single one of you, young, old, rich, poor, black, white, brown, Asian, whatever. All of you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. The era of anticipation in the Old Testament when they longed for God to pour out His Spirit on everyone was achieved in Jesus and then amplified out on the day of Pentecost so that there isn't a single soul who cannot know the fullness of the presence of the Spirit of God. And I'm going to tell you straight up, religion will never do it for you. They went through the ritual. They poured the water. They marched around the altar. So this morning, you can all march forward. And you can march around this table. And you can say, I went to church on Sunday. And I'm going to my classes. But Jesus says in the middle of it, don't come to the table. Come to me. Don't ever think you can substitute a ritual whether it's a preaching ritual or a table ritual or a baptismal ritual, you can never substitute a ritual for the person of Jesus. And he says to every one of us this morning who are dipped and died in religious ritual, have you come to me? Because it's from me that the river will flow. And so this morning, Come to the table, but when you do, come to him. Let's pray. Lord, we need you. You have promised that rivers of living water, the gift of the Spirit, would flow from our lives. And how we need you to come and do that afresh and anew in us. We are dry, thirsty, barren people. Come, Jesus. How we want to know you. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning and let's confess our faith together in the words of the Nicene Creed. It's a long creed, but it really tells us about the Spirit of God. Saints of God, in whom do you believe? I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. And I look for the resurrection of the dead. And the life of the world to come. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise.